Well, it looks like renovation time here, right? You guys, anybody come through the other doors and notice renovations? There things, things are starting to happen around here. We, we live in a renovation age. We have whole television channels dedicated to renovation television shows, you know, Flip or Flop, uh, uh, you know, Property Brothers, Love It or List It, all those shows, uh, This Old House. And uh, who, who watches those shows? Anybody, anybody, well, you know, we like to watch those shows. They're fun to watch. And I think they inspire us to tear up our own houses. And, uh, uh, but, but they're fun shows to watch. Enjoy seeing all that, that happens in those shows. And, and, and so we're in the middle of renovation of the church. And, and renovation of the church, in the physical church, renovation is necessary from time to time. Uh, we re re renovate our homes and churches from time to time in the physical building of the church. Uh, we, we need renovation. It's an important thing that we continue just to update and do those kind of things. It's, it's never fun, uh, but we appreciate Ryan was here. There he is. Wave at us, Ryan. Ryan had a crew of about uh, 10 or 12 guys, 10, and they, they did a lot of work uh, yesterday, and we really appreciate all that you're doing. And, and yeah, I'll give him a hand this morning. That, that is the one thing we're asking for money for these projects, but, but you are saving literally thousands of dollars as we use what Ryan calls sweat equity. <laughs> uh, when, when we use your physical abilities and, and uh, when, when we participate together, we can, we can save a lot of money and do a lot more with the money that we have. And so I really appreciate those guys that have those gifts and those guys that don't have those gifts and those gals that don't have those gifts that still participate and do what you can do. As a matter of fact, when we, when we um, started this all-in campaign, uh, one of the ideals for the sermon series, one of the titles of the sermon series that I kind of played around with was under construction. <laughs> uh, with, with the whole ideal that the building is under construction, and, and while the building is under construction, we're under construction as well. Uh, that, that we all should wear signs, uh, you know, this, this building is under construction. <laughs> and so that was going to be the ideal of the, the series, that, that we were all under construction, and the church is that vehicle that God uses to build holiness, perfection, the life of his people. And so the ideal is God wants to transform his people. God wants to transform our church. He wants to, our church to be a continual state of transformation. He wants me to be transformed. God's not finished with your pastor. God's still growing me. God's not finished with Pastor Bob. He's still growing, Pastor Bob. God's not finished with you either. Is he Dr. Purdue? He's still growing, Dr. Purdue. If Dr. Purdue can still grow, I don't think there's anybody in this room that says, that can say, I don't need to grow anymore. And so the church is this vehicle of transformation. And we've been working through the book of Ephesians, and, and, and I don't know if we've covered every passage in the book of Ephesians. We've covered a good part of it. Uh, and, and today we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest... We were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, 
God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the, in the coming ages we, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> Man. I got to tell you, every week as I've read these passages, you know, I, I use the phrase drop the mic. I feel drop the mic every time. That, that even as we let these words of Paul wash over us, we should be filled with thanksgiving. We should be filled with praise towards our God. We should be inspired for more. We, we, we should be craving even more the grace of God in our life. See, we are saved by grace. I believe I'm correct in saying this. Last week, I think I said every great move of God has begun in prayer. I think another element of every great move of God has been a seizing on of this notion of grace. That when the people of God begin to understand that it's not based on what we do, but it's based on who He is, God can move in a mighty way. And see, the truth is, I think it's easy, after you've been in the church for a while, to start thinking it begins and it ends with you. <laughs> that, that I'm so good, that I've earned so much, but the truth is, from our initial salvation to our glorification, we are always ever saved by grace. That it's God's grace at work within us that is going to finish this journey. We never get to the point where it becomes about us. It's always about Him. Now, now to me, that's good news. Uh, that, 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 that's like a big old whoo. That was almost a shout instead of a... But, 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 but I think that's worthy of a shout, right? You know, if God's grace is not worthy of a woohoo, I don't know what is. God's grace is going to take you through. So what is grace? Well, you know, one, one classic example is, is using the, the, the first letters in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That, that, that is one definition of grace. The, the other definition that we hear all the time is grace is the unmerited favor of God. In other words, grace is God extending His love and mercy and kindness and salvation an encouragement to you when you don't deserve it. Grace is Jesus dying on a tree for the people who hung him on the tree. That is grace. 
And God's grace is at work work in all of us. We're saved by grace. But we're saved for something more. In the passage we read, Paul says, God is calling us to be His workmanship. That, That this grace of God is at work in our life and this grace is trying to create something new and beautiful through and in us. Augustine said, For grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. (laughs) Do you see the, the distinction? That, 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 and, and Rick Warren says this, you are not saved by good works, but you are saved to do good works. That, that, that this grace calls us to something more, something better. John, John Piper says, grace is power, not just pardon. In other words, th- this grace is intended to be at work in our life. Now, now the phrase that I like, and, and, and I don't know where I first heard this phrase, I, is this phrase, optimistic grace. I believe in our theology that, that we practice or we embrace an optimistic grace. Well, we believe that God's grace is sufficient to save all of humanity. When John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that that this is not unlimited atonement, but but the grace of God is sufficient for every person who's ever breathed or lived on this earth. That's optimistic, right? We believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for anyone. So if you're sitting in this room and you're hearing the Spirit call, you are not outside the grace of God. We believe that. But not only that, we believe that God's grace transforms us. That that when Paul talks about having the mind of Christ... When Paul talks in Romans 12 about being transformed, when Paul, when Jesus says, be holy like my heavenly Father is holy, he's not putting something out there that we can't achieve, but God wants to transform his people. And he transforms his people, not through our works, but by his grace. God doesn't leave us where He finds us. But He he makes us His workmanship, His masterpiece. See, we're not just saved to get to heaven. That's a pretty good thing, right? But God wants to change us and use us in this time, in this place. His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That, that that's God's desire for us. Now, now this, this workmanship word is this Greek word 
po poemia, which is the word that we get the word poem from, right? So, so in essence, Paul's saying we are God's poems. Now, can we acknowledge that some poems are better than other poems, right? You know, roses are red, violets are blue, my feet stink, and so do you, okay? That's not that great of a poem. Liar, liar, pants on fire. That's not that great of a poem. But Shakespeare, Longfellow, my, my favorite poem, it's, it, it's not in the class of Shakespeare, but it's, it's one of those that appealed to me as a, a younger guy. One of the first poems, Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over a many quantum curious volume of forgotten lore. When I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, have some gently, one gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. What am I reading? The Raven. <laughs> you know, all these great poems, all, you know, Romeo and Juliet, the, the poems of Shakespeare, the poems of Longfellow. <laughs> if human beings can write poems like that, what kind of poem can God write with your life? <laughs> the creator of the universe. When we allow his spirit to move in us, See, God's desire is for us to be beautiful poems which reflect God. And God does this through His grace. It is God's grace that saves you and transforms you. Now, now everyone in this room, I believe, say, Pastor, I want all of God's grace that I can get, right? I need all of God's grace that I can receive. I, I, I don't want to leave. I, I don't want to get through my life and at the end of the, my life realize, oh, there's this whole chunk of grace that God wanted to work in my life. But, but I want all that God has in mind for me. Number one, because I need it. Right? And we talk about, we use this phrase, means of grace. And, you know, so, so a sacrament is a means of grace. And, and we may, we're probably going to sprinkle somebody in the second service. Our, our baptistry malfunctioned. And so we're going to sprinkle because we believe God's bigger than a baptistry. Amen. And so, there, and if somebody wants to be immersed, we'll, we'll give them that option. But, but I know we're at least going to sprinkle at least one in the second service instead of uh, immersing them. We, we believe baptism is a means of grace, it's a sacrament, it's a way we appropriate, it's a way we receive, it's a way we live in God's grace. We believe that communion is a means of grace. Uh, we believe that worship and singing is a means of grace. We appropriate God's grace. We believe serving and giving all these things that we talk about and have been talking about in this service. Prayer, the Bible is a means of grace. And when we talk about grace, it's not just grace to, to, to get into heaven, but it's grace to be transformed. 
you know, we're, we're working through this series the, of the church, the ecclesia. The church provides transforming grace. That, that is the intention of the church. And, and so we're the last week of this series, and we, we've been exploring how a community can transform, how the church community can transform. And we, we've been using this phrase, and we'll say it one last time, and you don't ever have to hear it again, and you're saying, praise the Lord. The church is God's instrument to allow us to escape meism and live for something greater. So, so the church is this body that moves us somewhere greater. The church is this body that allows us to experience God's transforming grace and live for something better. Early in the series, I used this phrase. The church is not an assembly of the perfected. Instead, it is an assembly that is meant to perfect. In other words, when we come into this place, we realize that God is doing more in us through this place. And it's in the church, in the body, in serving together, in receiving the sacraments together, in singing together, in giving, in praying together, in learning together, that God shapes us and transforms us through His gift, the church. See, see, we're not God's gift to the church. The church is God's gift to us. (laughs) It's a grace gift. God has given us the church because he realizes that the vehicle of community, loving one another, serving together, God can do something in us and change us. So so when we lean into the church, we lean into God's transforming grace. That, That through this body, this flawed body, that is led by a flawed pastor, that that somehow God, through His grace, can transform and use it beyond our singular talents as we serve, share, learn from each other, worship, pray together. You know, the opposite's true as well. To to lean away, I, I believe... And this isn't a popular way of thinking in our age. We, we, we live in the age where organizations are seen in a lesser light. That, that, that somehow people think, and you hear all the time, well, I can be saved without the church. Right? Right? You hear that all the time. And, and I'm never going to limit the hand of God. But I do know this. <laughs> All that I've learned, all that I know about serving Jesus, I've learned in flawed churches. I've never been part of a perfect church. And yet, these imperfect places have worked towards perfection in my life. When we're apart, we lean into the transforming grace of Jesus Christ when we refuse to be a part. When we don't submit or be part of a church, we're living for less. This past week, I was listening to... My, my, my favorite preacher to listen to is Judah Smith. Anybody ever listen to Judah Smith? 
Nobody but me? Okay. I, I love Judah Smith. And uh, he, he's a younger guy, and, and he's got a good sense of humor, and, 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 and he's kind of old school, and he's preaching. And he, Seattle, it was City Church in Seattle, and, and they changed their name to Church Home. <laughs> and, and so I was kind of listening through uh, Judah talk about their, their name shift. You know, they'd been City Church for 25 years, had a lot of success, and now they're changing name. And, and, he, and he's working through this. And, and, and he used the example of the Good Samaritan. And he told the Good Samaritan story. And, I, and I'm sure he's not the first person that's told this story in this way. And I'm sure I've probably heard messages on the Good Samaritan told in this way. In, in his telling, his interpretation is, another interpretation of this parable is that Jesus is the Samaritan. That, that Jesus comes across the wounded person on the road and he provides transport and he provides resources and he takes them to the inn. And the inn represents the church. <laughs> that, that, that Jesus has brought people into this place, this inn, for healing. My, my dad has a terrible allergy. Uh, he's allergic to doctors. Uh, he, he just won't go. Uh, you know, you, you could say, oh, he, he just doesn't want to take the time. The, the truth is, my dad is deathly afraid of needles. He is. He's the biggest wimp, strongest wimp I've ever met. Uh, but, but he is deathly afraid of needles, and he will, he will physically mar himself to keep from getting a shot. And so, um, you know, I don't know, five, ten years ago, I was talking to Dad, and he, had, he, he broke his leg chasing a horse and never went to the doctor. He limped around instead of going to the doctor. And the doctor saw him many years later and said, Bob, your legs had a crack that healed on its own. What happened? You know, he just would not go to the doctor. And, and, and so he, years ago I said, Dad, isn't there anything they can do about your knees? You know, a, a, a knee transplant or a, a replacement or, or they don't do transplants, they do replacements. <laughs> You guys get up here and preach. You'll misspeak every <laughs> once in a while too. And he said, Paul, there's nothing they can do. I said, well, why is there nothing they can do? He goes, because I won't let them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love my dad, but that's hurting. Not taking care of that. You know, he's 91 years old. So, you know, 91, that's a good long life. But, but, but physically, his condition is probably worse now because he wouldn't go to a doctor and get that taken care of. Limping around when healing's available. Imagine the Good Samaritan story in this way. The Samaritan comes and, and the man is beaten half dead and the Samaritan starts to help him. And he starts crawling away. I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I'll just, I'll just rub some dirt on it. <laughs> I'll be fine. When we crawl, crawl away wounded from the church, we crawl away from healing. So a pastor, the church is where I was wounded. 
That's reality, isn't it? The church is where I was wounded. You know, the churches have to be safe places. But, but, but here is what we have to understand. The church is full of wounded people. That, that sometimes the people doing the wounding are as wounded as you are. And that's why in this body, the beauty and the significance is placed on forgiveness. That, that, that I believe that somehow, and, and, and Jesus talks about living in the forgiveness and the grace of God by giving forgiveness, that somehow in this place when things aren't perfect, when someone may say something or do something, that we can forgive and God can pour grace and forgiveness even on difficult things. You know, the church has to understand this as well, though. Well, we have to understand our role. And I, and I got to tell you, it, it's so, as a pastor, as a pastor, my heart breaks for people. And if the church can't be a place where broken people can come and be loved, then I don't know the point. I don't. Last week, it's good to see Wilma back and awake the whole time. She doesn't remember, but she had an eventful Sunday last Sunday. And I thought about that, and you know, my perspective, my pastoral perspective was, I was talking on spiritual warfare, and, and you know, here's a distraction. Leave it to Sweet Carol. Where is Sweet Carol? She's not in here. Is she back here? Yeah, she's somewhere. Sweet Carol to give me a different perspective. Carol said this. She said, wasn't it just like the grace of God? put Wilma right here in the midst of her family and friends when that happened. Because we don't know what would have happened if that had been in her room. And it caused me to think as I came into the sermon, what if when that happened, we would have just ignored it? What if when she fainted, we would have just said, oh well, that's the choice she's making. That's just the way it goes. That's not what happened at all, is it? And people were flying all over this place, lifting and calling, and, you know, we did all that we could to bring wholeness. Can people come into our church that are broken? Let's not just say, oh, that's the choices they've made. Oh, well, that's just life. I wonder what I can have for lunch today. We are the end. Jesus Christ, by His resources and His grace, wants to bring people into this place. And us, through the resources He provides, He wants us to be instruments of healing. See, I believe that's God's image of the church. I, I believe that's God's hope for us. That, that somehow we become this place where we understand all of us need work. Amen.
all of us need work. No one is finished. If the Apostle Paul can say, not that I've already arrived, but I press onward towards the goal of what Christ has called me. If the Apostle Paul can say that, I can say that. And so we come into this place gathered as people on a journey towards wholeness. Some of us further along than others. But all of us have one goal. And that is God work His perfection, His holiness, His fullness in us, through us, with us. So we conclude this series. We're going to do baptisms in the next service, or at least one. And I thought I'd conclude it with Romans chapter 6. And I'd like you just to let this kind of wash over you as I read it. Or if you're from Indiana, wash over you. <laughs> this wash over you. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died... He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sins, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? 
These things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.